So last week, we had rules of dating with Julio, and it was a fantastic episode, but we were sitting and thinking, we we're like, well, now we have to do rules of marriage, rules of relationships. We got to, we got to stick, we got, always got to hit everybody. We can't be biased to one side. It's an equality podcast. Exactly. And we have a married girl and a relationship girl and only one single girl. One for all, all for one. <laughs> so we came up with more questions for married and relationships. We're going to go through those today. You're going to have to ask them. I'm going to interview you. (laughs) I'm going to interview you guys. Yeah. Okay. We're your besties in your ear. Back for another episode of Mean Girl Pod. Welcome back to another episode of Mean Girl Pod. (laughs) Jordan can't smile (laughs) because her face is crooked. (laughs) My face is fucked up. She got... The Botox. Yeah, I got Botox in my TMJ or my jaw to help with TMJ and grinding. And the thing about my face is um, one side accepts Botox faster than the other. And like this is this has always been the case, like eyebrows, forehead. So right now I have a crooked smile, so I cannot laugh or show too much emotion because I will look like the inverted filter. Okay, what we're going to do is incentivize everybody to go watch us on YouTube because you should watch it on YouTube. And the way we're going to do that is look at the camera and give them a smile. Yes, do it for the people on YouTube. (laughs) There, there was. No, take your hands away. Come on, there, you guys see that? You're welcome. Don't get work done. (laughs) No, that's not the message. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I, it will, it will, in a week, it will be balanced out, but that's just my face. It always, one side accepts it sooner than the other. And that's okay. Yeah. And you know what? It's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's what? On On the the outside. On the inside. (laughs) Yeah. It's about who you are as a person. Yeah. That's the message. I loved my smile. Get work done to humble yourself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's why you get work done. (laughs) This episode, all the episodes are presented by (laughs) the one and only Pink Whitney. We're recording a little later in the day today. Yeah. 4 p.m. 5, almost 447. It's our second take of the week. It is part two of Mean Girl Pod. And we should have Pink Whitney shots. I see it. There's a bottle. Um, because Ooh. it's almost happy hour and it's Friday Eve. I'm tweeting that, by the way, every Thursday, Friday Eve. It's uh, going to be a reoccurring segment. I love. Head to your local bar today and order you and your friends Pink Whitney shots. <laughs> Would you like to say something? What's the segment? Exactly. Just Friday Eve is the segment. Just, that's it. It's not actually You're tweeting Friday Eve is a segment? I love that. It's a segment. I love it. I love it. Also, if you're on YouTube, I don't know what you can see, but I just cannot get over our spaces. <laughs> Alex has like half eaten apple, laffy taffy, probably like two sips of a Starbucks drink, makeup everywhere. And then I have a water bottle. You ready for the joke? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It matches your nails. It does match my nails. I, pink looks great on you for your hands. Thank you for my hands. Oh, my spray tan hands. Well, I mean, like pink nail polish looks great on you. I have extra dry hands. Did you know that about me? I do too, actually. Let me feel like Which is weird because you don't wash your hands, so why would you? You don't wash yours either. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so we both do. We do. I think it's... We could let it match. I don't know why we do. Which is so weird because we don't wash our hands. I know, so you wouldn't think they would be dry. Do you have dry hands? I have actually the sweatiest hands known to man. Like, it's a problem. Of course, Alana has, like, moisturized hands. <laughs> no, Alex, like, in a <laughs> bad way. So if you put your hand on the table, would there be a sweat mark? I wish. Correct. You guys, like holding hands with a boy, like job interviews, What's like worse? meeting someone. 
What? What's worse, overly dry hands or sweaty? Sweaty, hands? I promise. Yeah. No, dry. Well, but how well, do you, you put shake on hands? some moisturizer real quick? No, mine are dry like to the core. Like like lotion, I could put lotion on every day for five years and I won't make up for this. Like from within they're dry? Like- yes, to my core I'm dry. Mm. Yeah, but would you rather touch someone's hand that's maybe a little scratchy or wet? Scratchy. Really? My boyfriend in high school, so he was a wrestler. Oh, and no, now it's triggered. Like, literally, if you say, oh, sweaty know. hands, like, my hands will start sweating. So, no, he would put his hand on a table, and it would, like, the you know, like, moisture, like, <laughs> yeah. the moisture ring would form around it. Yeah. And, like, think about that touching you all the time. It was so, gross. Do you think, like, the okay. combo? No, sorry, no, 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 sorry, sorry. I did not mean, like, that. Like, no, no, a lot of his were, like, correct, wet. Like, it was like he washed his hands. But was he a perfect match for you because he, like... Your your hand was so dry that it absorbed his moisture. Wait, he, here he didn't notice. Let me touch your hand. Um, come here. I don't think so. Oh, I oh my god! <laughs> Wait, I never realized. That. Wait, but did you think our hands were dry? Did you honestly? I've thought your hands were dry before. <laughs> Mine? <laughs> yeah. You just you <gasps> just thought mine were dry? I like before I thought. Oh, Alex has dry hands. <laughs> I was like, do. But, but it's not a bad thing. It's probably because you sweaty is more embarrassing than dry. Spring time makes your skin drier. It's been this way since, since you were born? Yeah. College. <laughs> it's hereditary. See, my hands, I don't think like the palm is dry. I think it's just like everything else. The palm, your palm's like, yeah. Which sucks because you know that your hands are your first to go with age. So if we have dry hands, we're just going to look older in our hands. Ooh, you should be putting shit you know on that? your hands now. No, I wear mo- I wear lotion all the time. Like even sunscreen, probably. I do. I do sunscreen my hands because I can't get worse than this. Like, this is the hand of an 80-year-old. We have <laughs> hands of 40-year-old women. Not that 40-year-old men are old, but we do. Yours are 40. Mine are 80. Just say it. It's okay. Yours are not 80, Alex. 65. <laughs> 45 maybe <laughs> this is worth it for youtube to see our hands okay all right, all right what did what did and we're on a tangent okay what did the gangster say to julius caesar oh that's funny i don't know i don't even know what i would say i don't i don't know no guesses like i know you're my rome boy <laughs> i don't get it yeah no. you're my homeboy rome oh, julius caesar rome, rome. Huh. it's a stretch okay there's one more hold on <laughs> What did, what did the British umpire say to the batter? The British are coming. Europe. Know. This is the worst. Europe. Wait, that's funny. You get that one? Yeah, because like Europe. Oh, my God, like, like you're up. You're up. Like you're up. I like. Did you only bring that laugh taffy to t- to listen to the jokes? No, I was going to eat joke. it, but now I'm here. <laughs> well, I ate the apple instead. Okay. Nice. Okay. Nice. <laughs> there's, two different, there's two types of girls. <laughs> I just, every time I look over, I just look and I'm like, clutter. Clutter. Do you think I'm messy? Okay, you're, you're not messy. You're, um, oh, what's the word? I just, some, okay, so I think there's like different tiers of dirt, like not dirty. Dirty is a strong word. You're not messy. I'm not dirty. I'm messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause overall, you're, you're a clean person, but you have like, you're like, you have things in your life that are a little messy. Yeah. Like you're, my desk is a pit. <laughs> your apartment, your hotel rooms. My hotel rooms are. Tragic. I just think oh, we went to um, Nashville for NASCAR. Your <laughs> like step on the floor, like my my slippers, like on. I don't know if it was like um, if it was a sticky boob or if it was like <laughs> liner. Boob. I don't know what I stepped on, but I stepped on something. Yeah, yeah. You stepped on a sticky boot. <laughs> yeah. Ew. Yeah. So yeah, you're not dirty, you're just messy. Yeah. Okay. Um, how was your weekend? 
was good. Was it? <laughs> I don't want to laugh because I'm looking like a sociopath. Um, it was good. I went to visit my parents in Florida. It was nice. Yeah. How was the weather? <laughs> you know, that's like the like the top three most boring things you can talk about. I don't know what number two is, but number one is your dreams because they're so real to you, but nobody else saw them and you're just talking like you're just spewing random stuff. And then third thing is the weather. How was your weekend? How was Daytona and NASCAR? It was phenomenal. I, this heard, one I heard seeing, was better than your wedding. It was. <laughs> and I think I put them in order. <laughs> that was the funniest tweet I've ever seen. NASCAR Daytona was the best day of my life. Good. And my wedding day was, and everyone's like, what's the third photo? And I was like, just a photo of myself I liked. I don't know what day it was. I know. I didn't know if that was like your uh, bachelorette party or a bridal shower or something. It's cool. It's a cool pick. I thought it was cool. It's a sick pick. Um, I I had so much fun at Daytona. And it's like completely miffed me. It's made me question everything. Oh, yes. In uh, life. I was right? like, what's miffed me? Like, doesn't that mean like I'm miffed? Like I'm stumped? I have heard you say that a few times and still like I don't think I've ever heard anyone else say it. <laughs> I don't know what that like, means. It's like sew your oats. You guys Yeah, like, sew your oats. I love that one. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say sometimes with you I just realized you had an Oklahoma vocabulary that I should roll with. Maybe it means like ticked you off. Or like three like kind of like threw you off your Like a puzzle. Like it stumped me. Like stumped. I'm stumped. Yeah, it okay. stumped me. Like I'm like, okay, and I'm thinking about it a lot because I can't I'm not going to try to explain to you how much fun it was. Because there's not, I'm not going to have words for that. Okay. What I am going to do is tell you this. I was sitting on top of a bus, like a real life bus, like a school bus, but it was painted. I'm so sorry. Did you go to Kumon when you were little? No. What? Neither of you went to Kumon, the learning thing. Do you remember, have you seen it? Kumon Learning Center? No. With the packets? No. Like Sylvan Learning Center? It's like, like Sil- Sylvan, yeah. Oh, I went to Sylvan as a kid. Did you, did you have to submit packets? Probably. I was so challenged in school my parents put me through all these things. me too when i walked by kumon today and like started sweating no i was like oh i can't believe you were a kumon kid i, I was and i was sylvan I was oh my god you were a sylvan kid. kid that's kind of like, it's kind of like i was in like, i was in special reading when i was in elementary school <laughs> i'm dyslexic and no one believes me well you're you're dyslexic when you want to be that's a fact <laughs> You are. Sometimes you read fine, and sometimes your eyesight's fine, and then sometimes, when it's convenient, you have <laughs> dyslexia, That's and you true. can't see. <laughs> and I've caught on to that. Okay, <laughs> that is true. That is Jordan. Jordan. Jordan Bax. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So so I'm sitting on top of the school bus, and it's like seven a.m. And I wait. Like, what does that have to do with Kumon? Oh well, I the school bus reminded me of that because of school. Okay. <laughs> the, I, I told you guys I'm not good in the afternoons. So then <laughs> I'm sitting on the school bus, bus in Daytona, drinking my coffee, and I'm up there alone, and I'm looking at the track, and the, the guy's over the announcements. He's like, welcome to the Daytona 500. Lie. And I'm like, you feel like you're in a movie. I mean, this stadium holds 150,000 people. Is that the biggest one? No, there's bigger ones. Okay. I think... Um, the Indy 500, I think, holds more. That's massive. It's it's you can't comprehend it unless you're inside of it, and then even your eyes, it's kind of hard. You can't get it on a sideways photo on 0.5. Like it's massive. Wow. Yeah, but I could see it on top of this bus, and I was drinking my coffee, and I thought to myself, I'm so happy here. And I was like, which is ironic because I live in New York. We have cool jobs. We go to all these cool restaurants. We probably can like do anything we want at our fingertips. And yet, people dress cool here. You can go shopping whenever you want. 
And yet here I am in a trucker hat and like a oversized jacket from a coworker, happy as can be. And it made me question. I was like, well, really, what is your true happiness? And it, it was like, not what everyone, because to me, what you think you should be doing, right, is like probably having this job or having a corporate job even, probably not even this one, but it would like a corporate job. And I'm like, that's where you should be at this stage in your life, maybe. But when you're doing something like that and you're the happiest you've ever been, maybe debatably, it makes you question, you're like, well, really, what's it all for? Yeah, I I feel like I personally battle with what I should do versus what I want to do every day. Yes, and it's like you have to so you have to ask yourself, okay, like what is success? And then does that equate to happiness? Mm-hmm. Are they the same thing? Like I just was I think you have to default to questions in the scenario and like start asking yourself. And then when you really pay attention to it, you realize what you probably thought you should be doing. It's like a really good incentive to start trying new things or to always remember to try new things and pay attention not to what society says you should do, but to what you go try or what you want to do. And then ask yourself, like, how did I feel when I did it? Yeah, I always envy people who like work on like a lilac farm, like <laughs> the stooly clubhouse guy. Like mm-hmm. I envied him how he just sat on a, a tractor all day on a lilac farm watching barstool stuff on his phone phone i'm like that man is probably happier than everyone in this building yeah and then and then you realize you're like okay happiness doesn't come from any exterior factor like no no salary will give it to you Mm -mm. no follower count will give it to you no paycheck no nothing like no title just a feeling and it's like you have to chase the feeling because i think that's probably where authenticity comes from and you have to allow yourself to chase the feeling yeah. and say, you know, I will try. Would I have ever done NASCAR? No, because growing up, I somehow associated like the word white trash with it. Mm-hmm. And then you try it and you're like, oh, I just wasn't exposed to this. But now that I'm doing it, okay, question, how do I feel? Okay, I love it. Yeah, you know, in um, Think Like a Monk, how Jay Shetty's quoted Jim Carrey. He was like, Jim Carrey wishes everyone could try being rich and famous for a month because they'll realize that it doesn't, doesn't bring any sort of happiness. And that quote, like slapped me in the face because I've worked a corporate job where I've made great money. I've worked a job where I've made no money. I've worked this job and it's like the external factors have never brought me happiness. I've always been happy from specific things within myself. Yes. That's so that's what it is. And you're like, okay, because on the outside, you're like, we've checked all the boxes, mm-hmm. you know, like, cool. And the, and we love our job and we love New York. Yeah. Like, not for nothing. I don't want to live in Daytona, Florida. I would go in <laughs> absolutely insane. But I'm more so I'm like, OK, so trying all of these things that we have to try in life and realize that happiness comes from all these other places and mm-hmm. asking yourself too, does location matter? You know, like where you put yourself, if you put yourself in a certain atmosphere, we always talk about how on here, like proximity is so important who you're around. Yeah. It's like, maybe you just fit in in other places. Yeah. Like I always think about that for when I'm considering my future partner. I told you guys this yesterday, but I struggle with the person I, in my head, I always want like the suit, the finance guy, the CEO, the person who makes a lot of money, but I've all, I've always been attracted and gravitate more towards like, I don't really know how to describe them the past, like, like, I don't know. Like, they're like 
like my I friend was like hometown boy. Yes, yes, exactly. Like the boy next door. Yeah, kinda. good old boy. And I think about Sweet Home Alabama. How you have Patrick Dempsey, and then we talk. I still don't know his name. <laughs> <Jake>. No idea. <laughs> Whoever plays Jake, and she has like Patrick Dempsey's the suit, the rich guy, and then Jake's the hometown boy. And I was telling my friend, I'm like, I think I want the Patrick Dempsey's of the world, but the past few guys that I have been, I've dated or been attracted to, have been the Jakes, the hometown boys. And I'm like, which one do I want? My ego's telling me Patrick Dempsey, but my heart's telling me Jake. Oh, yes. And it's like, why? Do, why? Is it because society tells us that dating the, the CEO, the suit, the rich guy is going to bring you happiness versus the other guy, which the other guy probably will bring me a lot more happiness. Yeah, right. Totally. It's the ego. Yeah. It's the ego compares you to everyone else, but self-esteem compares you to you type thing. Yeah. It's that. And so you're like, all right. So my ego is like, well, what's everyone else doing? Because that's what we watch online and things like that. But then if you default to self-esteem, you're like, what do I want? Yeah. And then you're like, I think my heart likes. I mean, I don't know. It's You know what it was? It's the same thing. Because I guess in this scenario, Jake is the NASCAR. Mm-hmm. And so you're sitting up there and you're asking. You're like, you're literally, your heart is like, what is happening? Like, what do you want? It mind fucks you. Yeah. It was. Oh, my gosh. It's just like. Because you're like, is this temporary? Is this going to, is this like a forever feeling? Like, you don't know if it's like a fix. Right. You don't know if it's like your brain subconsciously like playing tricks on you. Yes. <laughs> and and it all comes from. But you know what? You know, the only way to get there is experiencing things. I feel like is some in some form or fashion stepping outside your comfort zone. So trying new things, dating different types of guys being like, OK, oh, my gosh, as simple as this girl sent me a vest and she was like, try this on. And I was like, I wouldn't wear that because I know it would look terrible on me. But then I was like, fuck it, I'll try it on. And I like loved it. So it's like trying on, actually trying on different things and being like, maybe the way I've always thought it should be isn't the way it should be. Yeah. And it's just like, once you try that, thinking, you know what it is? I was trying to type this out. From zero to 18, I never thought about life. From 18 to 25, I thought I had it all figured out. Like I was so headstrong and I was like, I know everything and it should be this way. From 25 to now, every day I, I start to think, I don't know. I have no idea. And like the less I know, the more I want to find out. And it's been like the most beneficial thing in the world. Oh, yeah. I have gone through multiple life crises, crises, crises. Not sure. Like (laughs) multiple, like, you know, I'm like, you're having a quarter life crisis. I'm like, yeah, I've I've had at least five of those. Just just because of like trying something or expecting something of yourself. Yeah. Just being like, well, and you fumble the ball, but you got to. Well, and also I feel like our generation isn't okay with being content or settling like we want to live our life to the fullest Mm -hmm. so if we're if we're settling or feeling like that flat line for too long i feel like we start to panic and we start we're like we we gotta do something like right now yeah stagnant's the enemy yeah for sure because i think i think we saw our parents be miserable i think we saw our parents (laughs) do that perhaps yeah and and we will overcorrect on this and then our kids will be Probably play it more safe. I'm sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. It'll, you know, they say it skips a generation and not for nothing, I think. Well, that's why I think the boomer generation had so many issues with millennials because we didn't want to live life. Like, I feel like we were the first generation to fully flip how we live life. Like Gen Z, it's not that different. They're a little bit more. I just want to be happy. But we were like the first generation to fully be like, we don't want to just work our whole life. We don't want to just work to live. No. Which one is it? Live to work? Work live to, to live. work. But well, that's the question. Do you work to live or live to work? 
They, they live to work. Oh, we, we, no, we, we work to live. Yes. No, we, we work, live to work. We live, we live to work. No. no, no, no. Living to work is like you, you love to, like you work so much. Boomers, like that's your life. Boomers yeah. live to work. We, we work, work to so we be able live. to pay to live, like to just yes. do whatever we want. Yeah, that is our generation, but I don't think that's us three. Well, no, I told Jordan and I, we talked about this. Our dream is to open up a coffee shop yeah. and sell sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I want to move like, to the I don't, ocean. Like that is happiness to me. No, like I was saying, like oh, making boomers, sandwiches and coffee all day. Bo- boomers as a whole, like they were always taught, like job is the most important thing, taking care of your family, providing stability. Like they just mm-hmm. live to work. But I think millennials was the first generation to kind of like shake it up a little bit, where they were like, no, I want to like live life. Mm-hmm. We established the work life balance and the yes. work from home. Yeah. So mm-hmm. traditionally, right. Like if you didn't remember the old saying, like if you didn't come home and your hands were bleeding, you didn't work hard enough that day. <laughs> yeah. Like that would be something my grandpa would tell me. Yeah. Well, or like, even, okay. Like, fine. If, if you want to live like that, okay. Feeling burnout was like, yeah. Uh, you got like a slap, like a pat on the back, like, good. You're, you're burnt out. That's good. They would equate hours. That was the problem for me always with like th- watching it. I would be like, you're taking the amount of time you work, not the level of productivity. Yes. And you're calling it hard work where we were like, watch what we can do in two hours, mm-hmm. run circles around you guys and still go travel, reset our brains. Like, we did establish that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's though, I think I struggle with. I think that was the whole contemplation on the bus, though. Oh, no, no. What I was your contemplation as a can, person. Can you talk about that more like a macro level? Like, what so, do you mean? Like, what were you thinking about? Like, oh, do I even want to live in New York kind of thing? Like, no, I was th- I was thinking. I was trying to think long term. Like, mm-hmm. I was tr- I've had this really hard problem lately thinking past August. Like, I can't get past August. I just think till then. And I. So I was sitting up there and I was like, why are you so happy here? And like, I mean, so happy. And it was like something I had never felt because, and I was like, are you doing everything right? So when you, when I read uh shoe dog by Phil Knight, he talks about like these steps you take to like crack a code. And he was like trying to create Nike out of his basement, you know, and he likes going to China and he's buying the parts and, then he starts the marketing part of it. And it's like every time he takes another step and he gathers like a new piece, he's like, okay, this is all starting to fit together. I think maybe that's what I was feeling. Like I was like, but I was also pondering if I can learn this big of a lesson here, like what else have I not learned? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, really? I read all these books about these founders, these people, and it's like, they know so much and they've hacked into this whole life thing. And I was like, have you done that yet? But like, have you given yourself the chance to? Yeah. Finding like true happiness is such a, an amazing feeling, but really scary feeling because it's so rare. And when, it, when, when you feel it, it like really shakes you up because mm-hmm. it makes you like rethink your entire life because you want to keep feeling that, but it's almost impossible to continuously feel. You can't feel it. Right. Yeah. Like, like I feel like it like, it like shook you. Totally. The first time we went, it did, it did like something about it. And I was just like, it makes me question something. I'm sure some great therapist could tell me what I was questioning. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it, kind of like where your home base is. You know, that I Yellowstone did that to You're me kind too. of all over the place, too. Mm-hmm. Like, your mom's here, but she's not. She's in Oklahoma. Like, where's your home? Right. And kind like, of stage. That's maybe why you're enjoying, like, going to different places. And I felt the two things I felt most connected to 
were like a ranch and then like NASCAR, which you can find that type of vibe in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I find myself at dinners up here with like really posh people mm-hmm. and I love it. I mean, that's fine, but I really, I have to try to fit in with them. And when I'm down there, I just fit in with them. You're Southern. It brings like out my you, true You self. are like, you know? Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, there's, you're, it's different. Like even Midwest, Northeast, like, yeah, I, I can, I could never, I can imagine how hard it is, honestly, to like fit in here. It's just, that's the thing of it. It's just truly different. Like humor is yeah. different. I don't know. Sometimes it's, I feel like I say something to you and you don't take it as a joke. Kind of. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's a miss. Yeah. Sometimes when I, when I walk into a coffee shop, sometimes even. Especially because we moved at like not the time of our lives. Like we already like grew into a person when we moved here. We didn't so move true. during like puberty right? yeah. or like adolescence. Like we were adults when we moved here. And you can't just like change you don't change like that drastically. I feel like when you're almost 30, like we will change, but like we were who we were when we moved here. So we're, yeah, we were not at an impressionable age. Yeah. And the problem with it was, okay, this was another thing I was pondering up there. I think I lived in Oklahoma so long and lived that life till I was maybe 24. And then getting out of it, even going to Newport in LA, it still wasn't like that. This place will shock you. Yeah. New York will shock New York. you. Yeah, it, it's the one. And that's why New York's New York. Like, that's the beauty of it. That's why I love it so much. Because, like, if this place can't shock you, what can? So then you come here and you're on sensory overload. And you're like, who am I? Like, you have to truly ask yourself. Because if you don't know who you are here, then, I mean, where are, then who are you? Like, anywhere, right? Because everyone here is a, mainly a transplant. Or they're here for some larger reason. And so, at the same time, I feel like it's equal parts shell of humans but then like depth of humans. Yeah. And I think that's what's so beautiful about it. That's probably why I always picked the, the boy next door because I grew up in Minnesota, mm. went to school in North it's Dakota. It's like, it's like comfort. It's home. Totally. I think it's a good thing to, to it w- we would be crazy if you and I could pick up, move here and just seamlessly integrate. That, that's not going to happen. No, like we, we're, we are who we are to our, a certain degree mm-hmm. because we were born and raised in such different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. It would be like picking up Alana and putting her in Oklahoma and being like, have no problems. <laughs> just take your hitch stride. I feel like, like I stuck out over. like a sore thumb just walking down the street in Oklahoma. No, like, <laughs> you, like, you would be like pushing, you'd be pushing people over. It's like when I went to LA even, like, I literally was like, move faster. Right. And it was more like harsh. Yes. And like, ah, it like drove me insane. It's location. You, it, it's a, such a big part of who we are. Because of what comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. So it just makes you, it, it's just like purging things in me, I guess. So all I'm doing is just defaulting to questions. Like it's that part of my life where I'm like, I don't know it all. I just can ask myself, when were you really happy? Mm-hmm. Okay. That was there. That's such an interesting question. Like to think about like when were, when was the last time you were genuinely happy? Yeah. yeah Sunday. Like, isn't that like, <laughs> But, but, right. Do you think it was you were just having so much fun or like, I don't know. Do you think the fun was overshadowing, like, was like, I don't know, like drawing you into this like deeper thing? Or do you think it like unveiled something that you've been like feeling? Both. I think it's a combination. Because it was when I, it was when I was like, um, another thing Jay says, you can have all these things around you, but when you're truly still, 
that's when you can find out who you truly are. And it wasn't until I finally was by myself with the coffee at 7 a.m. sitting up there where I was like, whoa, what's happening? And that's mm-hmm. where I like had the revelation. I just think being genuinely like truly happy is such a rare thing to feel that like it would just like shakes you up like fully. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes think it like plays with your mind because then you like assume like when I was in L.A., like all of a sudden I thought I should like move out of New York and move to the a coast and start a <laughs> coffee shop because <laughs> I was so happy in a moment in L.A. But then I was like, wait, 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 Jordan, like that's not realistic. You're just trying to like relive and mimic that one piece of happiness you felt in your whole 27 years of life. Right. So last week we had rules of dating with Julio and it was a fantastic episode, but we were sitting and thinking, we're like, well, now we have to do rules of marriage, rules of relationships. We got to, we got to stick. We got always got to hit everybody. We can't be biased to one side. It's an equality podcast. Exactly. And we have a married girl and a relationship girl and only one single girl. One for all, all for one. (laughs) So we came up with more questions for married and relationships. We're going to go through those today. You're going to have to ask them. I'm going to interview you. (laughs) I'm going to interview you guys. Yeah. Okay. So the first question we have, (laughs) is it okay to hang out with the opposite sex when you're in a a committed, serious relationship or and or have an opposite sex best friend once you're in a committed, serious relationship? Okay. So I sound thought about all these today. This one, you can argue either way. I'm going to go with, yes, it is okay. Because I don't want to live in a world where it's not. That that was what I thought about. I, I went back and forth on them. I think you could put 10 people in here. Some will make the argument either way. I think it's a pretty close call. But think about the overwhelming cons of saying to your significant other, I just want you to have guy friends. Okay, what about, does it matter if they were pre-relationship or during relationship? I don't think that that matters. It might matter in a scenario where you lived in the same city forever and you probably knew the same people. It might be kind of weird to form like a later in life friendship. But think about how often in the the way that our we just talked about our generation establishing that work life balance, like you hang out with your coworkers sometimes. Like I do think you form those relationships the more you do, Mm -hmm. the older you get. Like I think that we have to allow that. Would it bother you, though, if Graham all of a sudden had a best girlfriend that he was hanging out with all the time? So, yes. So I'll draw the line there. Best. (laughs) So he I think it would be weird if he later in life had anybody that was a girl that was his best friend. Like, even even if she was his best friend from middle school, like after we got married, you don't have your best friend be the opposite sex anymore. I think that you can have a friend. Okay. I'm talking like I'm talking second borderline third circle group of friend would is what I would say is okay. I think if you form a best friend later in life of the opposite sex, that's weird. Okay, so because <laughs> in the weird. the question was have an opposite sex best friend. No. Yeah. No. Okay. Good. I'm glad we. I was like, no, 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 no. No, not bet. No, no. No. There's no best. You're mm-hmm. his best girlfriend. I am your best friend, and you are my best friend. And if my best friend is a guy. It better be my brother. Otherwise, it's weird. Yeah, because like, you know, how in movies, there's always um, those scenarios where like a guy has that best girlfriend. Well, you know what? In those movies, they usually end up falling in love at the end. I just watched it on the plane with Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, that's it. And it's like they're talking on the phone every day. FaceTiming. I could never. And it's like, 
That's your best friend? Unless that person maybe was also married and we were friends with that husband. No. No. Okay. That's no, I'm too. thinking of my best couple friends that we went to the Super Bowl with. And if Graham's FaceTiming her, in what world? Yeah, that's weird. That is the weirdest world. Yeah, that's weird. I, right? I'm fully on the same page. I mean, you guys, you guys know how I feel about guy friends in general, so I'm here for it. I'm, but I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm down though for, like, I am down for a gay best friend. Yeah, oh, that's, that's yeah, totally it doesn't different. even like cross my mind. Mm-hmm. But the term best is weird. Best, I think my closest guy friend is fair to say. Like of every guy I'm friends with, there's one I'm closest with. But you hang out them alone. No. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. And I think he might be my cousin. <laughs> of course he is. We're not sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> my Grandma's best guy. Somehow. My but, best guy friend is Graham's friend. Yeah. It's Garrison. Uh, that'd be my best guy friend. Yeah. Yeah. Day. yeah like, I be- would never be like you and me. Let's get dinner. I would be like you, me, Mike and your girlfriend. Let's get dinner. I would never hang out with him alone at this point, even though we've known each other our entire lives. I, I yeah. think I had a best guy friend in Minnesota, but it was one of those friendships where um, it was me, one of my other best friends and him. And we always only hung out as a trio. It was mm. never like one on one. So if I was hanging out with him, she was always there and vice versa. But like, I, like that was the only scenario. It's the only. Yeah, it's the only scenario. And it's and if even like texting was always like a three three way group chat, like three way FaceTime. It was never just like one off, like, blah, 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 blah. hey, how are you? You know right, what I mean? Right, right. I, I do think. I think you can read the room on it, too, though. Yeah. Like, I'm you think, know. Yes. I'm thinking about a time where Graham went to get coffee with my friend. Totally normal. Yeah. That's not weird. I will say my ex knew that I was going to start dating Mike when we were friends. He knew. He always used to make comments about it. See, so that's the thing you do know. You do know. Yeah. You can yeah. read a room. You they know. know. Everyone knows, you know? Yes. And you know. Oh, you, mm-hmm. our intuition Your gut is true. always right. Yeah. 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 And yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But, but, but best friend is not. There's no, no scenario where it's a best friend of the opposite sex once you're in a committed relationship. No, I'm glad we can all agree on that. Doesn't exist. Can you just imagine like Mike or Graham just like, I'm getting coffee with Stacy today. This is my best. And they're, oh, sorry. I would ask Graham right now, but he's FaceTiming Stacy, so I can't. What? Could never. Yeah. Okay. So there's, this is another two part question. First part. Um, once we'll say, we'll do married for this one. Once you're married, are you merging bank accounts or keeping them separate? That's the first part of the question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You're merging them in some capacity that has to be, that has to be the middle ground on it. I'm pro merge it all. Mm -hmm. I understand more now than ever with equal parts working. I think girls, women work just as much as guys these days, which I love. So I'll settle for an 80% middle or 50% merged. Some some sort of shared pot. My favorite way to organize it that I've been researching, shared pot here. No matter if he makes 100 grand and you make 10 grand, you both put 20% of that in the pot. And that's for grocery. That's what you buy a house out of. Like you pull from that. But I do think if the bank accounts are totally separate, fully, everything is fully separate. I don't know that we're calling that unity. Like me and my best friend have separate bank accounts, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not me and the person that you're married to. There's got to be some sort of overlap, I think. 
Yeah, I, I love that. I think when I get married, I would be so okay merging 100%, especially because like I have a job, I make my own money, and I, I'm assuming my husband will too. But I also can see myself maybe being like, let's each have our, maybe like put 10% of our paychecks in a separate because I do have spending habits that are a little bit ridiculous where I like to get facials and buy makeup and get my lips done and get Botox where I would maybe feel guilty if he wasn't a big spender. But other than that, like I want, I, I kind of want everything to be together. And you know what I love is an understanding guy because mm-hmm. I think there's never going to be a world where girls don't spend more. No, <laughs> maybe guys have like a watch thing, you know, but like we're going to make more minute purchases along the way. And Nothing makes me happier when Graham's like, I want you to go get that. Yeah. And you're like, okay. And you, it's like, he, he said it yesterday, but I did love the, I'm down to invest in you just as much as you're down to invest in me mm-hmm. type vibe going on. Like, mm-hmm. I want to pay for your stuff. I just think like, I, I'm so old school about it too. Like, I think that's the one thing about marriage. It's like, you become more like as a one person. My b- old boss taught me, he said this, because when I was getting married, I was like, hey, what do you think about shared bank accounts? And he said, if you sleep in the same bed, you have the same bank account. Yeah. And I thought, what a cool analogy to some capacity. I've never understood couples. and I know there are plenty and I'm not knocking you. But it, if you go to the grocery store and like you have a hundred dollar tab and then you leave and you're like Venmo me 50. Don't even. There are couples out there that will keep like um, kind of like tallies like, oh, you bought you bought dinner tonight. So then I'll buy dinner tomorrow. It's like you're. What? Why are you we keeping a score? You're you're together, or like you you have rings on, right? So you're fully married. And you're at dinner, and they bring the check, and you put two cards down. Yeah. And I know it's brought some people full happiness. Like I knew a couple that were married, and they split everything. They acted like they were like like friends in the finance world. Everything else was together, but the finances they were like best friends. They split everything, and that made them happy. That would not make me happy. It wouldn't make. I would make me feel guilty. I would feel like every time I spent money, somebody was like writing it down somewhere, and I owed them. Like you don't want to feel in debt to your partner. It's like Venmo transactions, yeah, for dish soap and paper towels. No, can you go in private? Right, awkward. Right, (laughs) awkward to see that. It's like when you have a best friend. It's like you don't even like. Granted, massive things you've emo each other, but like we all have friends where we're like, I don't just don't even worry about it, mm-hmm. like because it's so back and forth. Yes, that'll happen with us. Like yeah. I got the tab. Like you just do it, and then you just kind of roll with it. But this whole spreadsheet, I think it's a really good recipe for resenting somebody eventually. Fully, and money is probably I don't know. I'm sure top three causes of divorce or arguments in marriage. Yeah. And it's like if you can agree early on to go all in or maybe all out, like maybe it is one or the other. But I think some sort of combinedness makes you feel not so separate. Yeah. Okay. What about this, though? The other part of the question was, what's the rule on splitting things when you're in a relationship? Like you're in a committed relationship like Mike and Alana. They're they're living together. They've been dating for multiple years. Like, how do you what's that about? Like, how do you figure out who's paying for what? Um. Big expenses or kind of like day to day? I feel like both. Like it could be like pa- the paper towels. It could be going out to dinner. It could mm. be. So rent. he usually pays for dinner. Really he'll sweet. probably laugh if I say this when I say I pick up like smaller tabs, like coffee and ice cream and stuff like that. I feel like we might have talked about this once before. He pays way more in rent than I do. It's more proportional to our salaries. Um, I would say he 
he pays for most things in our relationship, but it's, it is like a trust me system. Like I think he, he'll pay for larger things maybe, but I think day to day, like I, I basically pay for everything within our apartment. Like grow um, like I pay for our groceries and cleaning supplies. Most of their furniture is mine. Um, if and that's just like how it worked out. I don't know. Like so, he's he just bought a condo, and he's fully paying for it. Like I am not in any way paying for the condo. Oh, and so you're gonna move in and pay rent or live for free? I am paying like the taxes. And the bills and the HOA fee. So I'm not paying any of the mortgage. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That's just like how we worked it out because we're not married. My dad actually suggested that to us because my dad's a lawyer. Also, like (laughs) it sounds like it's not you don't even like think about like a tally system. No, we're like really good with it because I honestly think it comes down to trust. Like we just like trust each other and we know what each other makes and we know what each other contributes to our like lifestyle and Mm -hmm. to our living situation like i cook everything i clean the apartment like and that's kind of like the way we make up for like i don't we don't keep tabs on each other at all really that's that's i think the perfect like even for example like we're going to a birthday party tomorrow um it's my friend and like i paid for both of our bar fee it was Mm -hmm. like 90 dollars each i like i didn't even tell him you know, you're just like, that's yeah, it's yeah. just I don't know, like we're do- we're doing kickball again. Like I paid for his membership fee because like my friend was organizing. It's just easier that way. I'm not going to be like, oh, Venmo Mike too, mm-hmm. or tell Mike to Venmo me for his membership. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, we just trust each other. I like that approach. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, like obviously everyone does it different, but that's just like the agreement we've we never really talked about. It. It's just like how we fell into it. Mm-hmm. What did you and Graham do? When yeah. You guys were when you guys were living. Well, I guess you never lived together before. So I was going to say that was we never lived together. So he picked up dinners. We did the exact same thing. I made less at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I would do like grocery things. I would bring stuff over. But he would pick up dinner tabs and he paid for the more expensive things. I like that, though, because I also felt taken care of. Yeah. I think one thing, though, as you were talking through that, that I thought of is with finances and couples, it's really easy to feel like insulted. Like um, if they do. It's such a sensitive topic, because if you were if he is roles are reversed, his friends having the birthday party and he pays the 90, then he's like Venmo request Alana. Mm-hmm. And so one of his friend Venmo requests you, you've, I would feel like untaken care of by him or something. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's like some wherewithal you have to have with your partner of being like, I want to take care of you knowing you are like for both of our examples, the guys make more. So they take care of us a little bit more, but we're mm-hmm. like, I don't want to take advantage of you. There's a fine line of taking advantage so you say, I'll pull my weight, but they equally say, I'm happy to do this. Yeah. Like we actually got an, not an argument, but maybe a few weeks ago, he made a comment about how I, <laughs> this, I feel bad saying this. I stopped saying thank you after he takes me out to dinner. And I think it bothered him a little bit, Aww, but I think sweet. I just didn't, I feel really bad that I did that. That's so fascinating. So I know I he was like, I don't want, it's not like I I'm doing it for the thank you, but it's nice to be appreciated appreciated, and I felt really bad. (laughs) Yeah. Because you know, now that I'm on my own for my parents, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) 
something you want to tell us? <laughs> no, now, now that like I never used to thank my parents growing up for dinner, mm-hmm. but now when we leave dinner, I'll be like, thank, thank you, you for the meal. But I I haven't thought about that with him. With Graham? Yeah. I know. I felt really bad. But I don't think you should now that you're married. Because yeah. I don't know who actually paid for it because it's coming out of the same Because the same. Yeah. 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 That's, I guess that's true. That's interesting though. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, it just makes me feel good and like appreciated when you say that and like give me a little kiss or something. Oh, that's actually I just really like sweet. got in the car and was like, all right, let's go home. Like, you know, I mm-hmm. sad. I felt ungrateful. Oh, but, I'm glad he said it though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because it's definitely a trust thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's a give and a take, blah, blah, blah. And like, you don't want it. There's a fine line, I guess, of feeling taken advantage of. So you just don't want to cross it. Yeah. No, I'm glad that he said something. Me too. I like the way you guys approach and I hope for my future relationship, it will be like that too. Shared. Some, just yeah. the word shared in there somewhere yeah. is like beautiful. Because even like, even if a man does like to pay for more, it does feel really good to like buy your partner something like mm-hmm. the coffee or like maybe it is dinner or like. Like, I don't know, the groceries and cooking them dinner. Like, it feels good to take care of people sometimes, too. Very much so. Yeah. Yes. I like that. Yeah. All cute. right. Question number three. Is it okay to complain about your partner's family? Sort of okay. But you're complaining, thinking it will solve something, and it doesn't. I would say 99% of the time. You're really insulting them. Because you're attacking in some way their family and it's not your family. Like no matter how included in my family, Graham is in me and his, like it feels like family. There's you're born in your family. So I think it's better to say if I'm just kind of bitching and nagging about this, the only thing it's doing, it's not making the situation better. It's actually just hurting your partner because they take it personally. I do Mm -hmm. think there's a way of wording it where you're saying it's productive or you're pointing something out, maybe. But I think, I think it's okay, but I think you have to say it so nicely. And like, I'm not, this is not a personal attack on you and I love your family. I'm just pointing out that your brother does do this to me every time we're at the table and it makes me sad. It's not a reflection of you guys, but I think being like, God, your mom just annoys me is <laughs> that's attacking their mom. Like that's not yeah. helpful. And that's a line. I, I don't think you should cross. And I just think it would be way kinder if you didn't. I could not agree more. It's like, it's like if I complain about my brother, which I don't, but like if I were to complain about my brother all day long and then you said something, I'd be like, no, he's my brother. I can, but mm. you can't. Exactly. It's like, no, you don't get to do that. Yeah. And then when you run into some family problems, let's say, if you know your partner will go to bat for your family to you, like Graham will take my family's side every time. And that makes me feel really good knowing he's not just going to like throw fuel on the fire. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, you think about this and I'll do the same for him. You know? And it's like, cause you have your own things with your own family. But if your partner dives in on that, like that's just toxic for you too. Yeah. Yeah. And also you have plenty of other people in your life that you can complain to. <laughs> yeah. Like if you really call your friend and be- yeah, families for life and they're not going anywhere. So it's like, if you burn that bridge with your partner, they, they also might not feel comfortable talking to you about, family problems because they might think that you're holding over their head or holding it against them. Yes. And you don't want them to think that. And like you, it's, it's the example of you came to me and you were talking about your brother Mm -hmm. and you're like, Colton X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yeah, it's like (laughs) what makes you feel like, you're not going to want to come to me again and bitch about him 
because you're going to think you've already tainted my viewpoint. And mm-hmm. then you're going to think I don't like your brother. Yeah. But if you come to me and you're like, Cole XYZ, I'm like, no, listen, this is what he's thinking. And that's really not that bad. And like, he'd probably appreciate it if you did this. The yeah. next time you had a cold problem, you might be like, I will tell her because she's not going to trash him. Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants a takedown. Be more of like comfort versus your opinions. Yes. Type of thing. Yes. Which side note. My friend had boy problems the other day, and I said to her, I go, I t- literally texted her, I go, do you want comfort or solutions? <laughs> oh, nice. And she, like, it worked out so well. She goes, I need a solution right now. And I go, all right, let's get into it. I did it to you when you were getting yeah. on the plane. And it, uh, ma- it, like, made my heart so happy. I was like, wait, it made me understand your problem so much more, too, because I realized, like, you just wanted someone to be there for you. I just wanted to tell you. Yeah. Like, I was like, just comfort, by the way. Don't hit me with anything. I loved it. It helped phenomenally. This guy commented on that, though. Did you, uh, one of the comments on TikTok, and he was like, hear me out. Why don't you verbalize ahead of time what you need? And I'm like, you can't in that scenario. But that's you oh. saying it, right? Isn't that you? That is, yeah. Well, if, well, the like, he was saying, you come and you have a problem, and then you present that you want to. It's like, sometimes you have to ask. <laughs> yeah. I know I was like people these days, but it is, it is the, like, it's the hack. I think it's going to change the way I like deal with all my relationships. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most helpful thing I've heard in a long time. Same. You. Well, just scrolled across it. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah. Damn. Um, okay. Next question. Once you're in a committed relationship, is it okay to be friends with your ex? <laughs> That's another PTSD. I think after further review on this one, I think the answer is friends. No, friendly, cordial, um, appropriate. Yes, because they represent part of who you were, part of your journey today. They were a part of your life. If you're in the same room as them, you don't need to glare at them. I think it's almost a rule that you walk over and you're like, hi, how are you? Because otherwise it's awkward. But do we need to be friends? No. Unless it's been like 10 years and you're just like kind of friends. Like, yeah. fine, go to dinner with a big group. But do we need to be friends? I don't think so. Yeah, like we don't need to be texting each other. But, oh, we're all part of the same kickball league. We all go to a... a, a <laughs> sorry. Fuck, dude? <laughs> oh. Sorry. Sorry. We all go to a Tuesday night trivia together. Fine. Whatever. We'll be cordial. But we don't need to be side texting. Mm. We don't need to. We can be friendly. But friends, we don't need to be friends. Love. We're good. Love. <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about this this morning and I thought of a really good point about it. So I'm friendly with my ex, obviously kickball league, whatever. Um, A a strict line I have is that I'll never reference anything from our relationship. It's as if he is an entirely new friend I have that I'm just simply not close with. Like like if someone references anything in a group that we experience in our relationship, like a vacation, a movie, a look, a whatever, I'll never be like, ha Like I would never make a comment to him about it. Like it's as if my ex is dead and like, this is a new person that mm-hmm. I'm like friendly with. That makes sense. I like that. Okay. So if you were all around a table uh-huh. and you were at dinner and there was 20 of you yeah. and all 18 others got up to go to the bathroom and it was just you and him, would you feel awkward? Oh my God. That happened once in Nashville. Did you feel like, Oh, oh my God. I just, well, it was also a little fresh at this point, but I just said, I laughed, we like, I laughed in his face and then just like got up and walked out of the restaurant. Uh- <laughs> I think it would be so awkward. Yeah. I think I'd be like, Oh, Oh my, Oh my God. Help me. Yeah. I- now now I think I can handle it for a few minutes, maybe three minutes, but yeah, we don't talk like that at all. None no. of my exes are, I'm not cordial with any of my exes. So if I ever saw any of them, I would run away. 
Like if we were interviewing an ex and he was here and then like you two had to leave and it was just me and him there, I'd be like, I'm going to crawl out of my own skin. I would be like, so how's the weather? Right. right. <laughs> That's my dream last night. <laughs> There's nothing to talk about. Like Ew, nothing. No. You can't. Yeah. No. Okay. Next question. Do you have to have your significant other's family in your wedding? For example, when you were married, were you required to have Graham's sisters as bridesmaids? Absolutely. It is a must. You have got to include them in your wedding party. I don't care how close you are with them or not. This, the, the person you're marrying, if they have siblings or if they're really close with a cousin, it's Here's the thing, too. You don't want to wake up. If you get married on a Saturday, I always I always said, when you wake up on Sunday, how are you going to feel? You're going to feel kind of like an asshole if you didn't invite them. Always going to feel good if you did. What if they have, like, five sisters? Got to. Because my ex-boyfriend had four, and we kind of, like, made a deal where I was like, <laughs> I'm going to have two. Sisters of the five? The four? Yeah. Two of the four? That's crazy. Because, the, because at the <laughs> time, the no, solution. it wasn't bad. At the time, two of them were married and two of them weren't. So I was going to have like the non-married sisters in the wedding. No. I actually think that might be the that? worst. What <laughs> no, It was just a thing. Like, we all knew. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. If they're so cool about oh, it, like, so funny. if they are, if it's one of those things where the sisters are like, don't include me. Yeah. And like, you already have that rapport with them. I guess that there is a scenario where it's fine. But I would say most of the time you're inviting the sister's brother. What if you've never met their significant others or sorry, your significant other's sibling? Because, you know, because like sometimes they you, you live in different by coastal different countries. OK, then then I think it's fine to not ask them to be in the wedding, but invite them to something else that's special. Maybe the rehearsal dinner. Okay. Extend a little bit. Make them feel a little bit more special than all the other regular guests. But they don't have to stand up there with you. Okay. If you've never met them. In an ideal world, I really hope I'm close with my future husband's siblings. But I just feel like being in New York, people live all over the place. I mean, they could be from Europe. They could be from California. Like, you never know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And one thing I saw, too, like, on our wedding day, like, my brother was bawling and Graham's sister was bawling. And it's like... That's like a really emotional day for like, that's your sibling. So it means so much to them too. Yeah. And it's like, while I'm not his sister's siblings, they were still part of my day. And like, it was so special for all of us. Like then I really felt like when I went to Christmas, like I felt so much closer to them. Yeah. I guess it's like an amazing bonding experience. Cause truly the day after your wedding, you wake up and you're like, I'm in that family. Like it's, it's, it's a different feeling. And so it's pretty crazy. And then it's really nice to have included the siblings with that because it's like now we all get to experience it. I like that. Um, Okay, last question. What extent do you share social calendars with your partner? Example, if one person has or makes plans or is invited to a party, does their partner have to go or be invited? It's not popular, but gone are the days that you have to make him attend all of your social stuff. Guys don't want to go to the girls dinner. Like, no, guys don't want to go to half the stuff that we want to go to. I'm way more inclined to attend his stuff than he is ours. Like mine. Yeah. Girl, we have a more frills. We're more social. And like. I don't want to go to his guys night. I know that's crazy, but I I don't want to go to it. (laughs) So I think you kind of like read the room and you're like, all right, if it's a bunch of couples, I would like you to come. If it's a bunch of couples on a weekday, he might not be able to go. And then like you go. And you're just like, I'm representing. But if it's like a wedding and you're traveling and it's his best friend, it's more fun if you both go. 
But I'm a little bit more lenient on it, and I definitely provide more options unless I'm not like, this is not mandatory. I'm also fine going to stuff by myself. I prefer him come, but I used to be like, you're coming, and now I'm like, I'll just go. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like in a relationship, it's important because you want your friends to know that your partner supports you and you guys are a team, but once you're married and you've met these people multiple times and it's just like... You've been together for five years. It's like, you don't have to come with me to everything. Like, I'm good. Yes. And me and my friends were talking about this. The older we get, the more obligations we have. Mm-hmm. Like, we're so much more invested in our job now than we were when we were 22. Yes. If your friend was having a bachelorette party when you were 22, like, you'd be there, no doubt about it. Yeah. But now we're like, okay, life gets in the way. There's more things happening. People are working. Like, Mike's got a crazy schedule. Graham's starting now. It's like, you can't go to the same stuff anymore. So I do think, though family events are the exception like if Graham can make my family event I'm like you need to be there and vice versa Mm -hmm. yeah I I also think too the only time that I would think it'd be important is like because you have such a big friend group so I'm thinking about you like let's say you and your friends always get together for game night Mm -hmm. and you and Mike are just dating like I would be like you have to come with me because I don't want to be the only person without my significant other there you know what I mean Mm -hmm. because I want you to I want my friends to know that we support each other well, and I think, too, you have to pull your weight at the beginning. Yes. You have fully. to show up. You got to meet everyone. Yeah. And you got to get, I mean, for the first, like, three, I mean, it is like you are coming. Mm-hmm. And I expected that from all. And you can tell, too. Like, I can tell today with my friends that have been with their significant others for multiple years, there's some I know better because they just showed up more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that really does pay off in the end. And it is, like, showing support. But then there were the ones that he would just send her. Yeah, that's a bad look. And it, and it is. Like, you do kind of have to pay your dues to get to that point. Especially if you're single, a little bit older in life, because your friends become your family. Yes. And you do. You have to come. Like, And here's the thing, too. I don't ever think it's valid to be like, I'm not going to go like I, for nothing. You have to have, like, a very serious reason to not go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fully. Which, when you're adults, like, a lot of those reasons do come up. They really do. And and I think if you fake it once, it bites you in the ass later. Yeah. But family, yeah. I completely agree. Like family events, you, you got to suck it up. You got to go. Yeah. I actually have a friend that their partner like doesn't come around at all, really. And it's made like all my other friends not like them because of it. Why doesn't he come around? It It's weird. It's almost like he. He doesn't have an interest, it seems, in like becoming a part of her life. And he's just like become part of mine. So it's always like his friends, his, his whatever, like it's hard to get him to integrate like with her. So like it makes everyone feel like, well, like what the fuck is this? Kind of, I don't know how to explain it. It's weird. I think at my age, that's probably been one of the biggest red flags I found with guys. Um, yeah, I know you hate that. Yeah. Yeah. I've made so much effort to get to know the guy I'm dating's friends and getting them to like me, but they don't put any effort into my friends. Like that to me is like, I would break up with someone over that. I have ended things with people over that because it's like your friends are your family. Yeah. And here's the thing. Like it's all about respect. That is fair. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you don't, you don't care about my life. Exactly. So what are we doing here? It's all about them. It's on their terms. They don't respect you. It's like, it's not um, a reciprocated relationship. Yeah. And you got a way better chance if you win the friends over. 
I mean, because the friends will go to bat for you. Like you and you have to show up too. if you're meeting a friend group for the first time, you have to show up with like your A game. You're ready to go like you're the fun girl. And then the friends are like, no, dude, she was cool. Then when shit hits the fan, they're like, I liked her. Mm -hmm. You don't show up there. They're like, we never met her. I don't really care. It's like, get there. Or like (laughs) when you end things with a guy and their friends still talk to you. (laughs) Right. That's there you go. That's just a that just makes me laugh because I'm like, my friends don't even associate you anymore. But your friends are still out here chatting with me on a regular basis. Friends are DMing me. What? (laughs) They're giving me compliments about my Insta pictures. So it's you now. But who won at the end of the day? Me. (laughs) Winner. Ding, ding, ding. Winner. That was a, those were not facts, by the way. That was just a... No, that was just like random tangent. Yeah, random tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Unrelated to any scenario ever. Um, okay, those were the questions. Oh, fun. Wonderful. Should we end with our listener question? Sure. This week's listener question is, if you are single, seriously dating, or married, how much eye contact should happen during sex? <laughs> I hate this question. I have not stopped thinking about this. Same. It's like affecting my life. <laughs> it's more eye contact when you know them less. That's Wait, what gets me. What? It's less eye contact the longer you know them. I r- really because you can drive blindfolded at that point. <laughs> so you don't need. To. Well, when I think about have when I have sex with people, usually the lights are off, so I don't have to think about it. You can see them. I don't think I'm ever giving anyone eye contact. I would give it to them if I had just, like, you're just getting to know them and it's like the first three times. <laughs> and then the more you get to know them, you're like, I don't need to look at you. Because you're I, trying to, like, learn their face. Or, or you're just like, I'm, you're just like, what's happening? Like, you're just looking at them, like, staring in their <laughs> soul. You. This might not be true, but don't you guys feel like guys give more eye contact than girls? Like, I feel like guys always want to look at you. And I'm like, stop fucking looking at me. No, I think girls do. I think girls are the eye contactors. I feel like all these guys always want to like stare at me and I'm like, I don't want to look at you. Oh, I think whoever's on bottom is staring. Because I mean, they, they're not moving. If you're on top, you're the you're the more agile, active one and it's harder to look. But if you're on bottom, I'm sure you're just looking. Ew. But the more you get to know them, I think the less I, I think dating I think the first like three or four times you sleep with somebody, I bet you make more eye contact. <laughs> I just really feel strongly about that. You know what that thing where it's like Awkward silence isn't awkward until you start thinking about it. Now, the next time I have sex, I'm just going to think about that and I'm not going to be able to focus on anything but that. It's going to ruin it for me. I, I don't know. I don't think you'll have, I don't think there will be eye contact. There better not be. Also, uh, I feel like I looked the whole time at him. <laughs> yeah. Is he looking back? <laughs> I don't think so. So you're still, so are you on top or bottom? Bottom? Anywhere. Bottom. Bottom. No, over. Oh, hmm. Well, maybe I was just looking around. I feel strongly about bottom makes eye contact and the earlier in the phase. But doesn't, don't you both have to be looking to make eye contact? Yes. That's, I think, thank you for poking that hole. I think my <laughs> eyes are closed always. Mine are open. I usually close mine. I think. I think mine are open. I'm trying to think of like last time I had like sober sex because when you're drunk, it, I don't think it counts. Um, I don't, th- I don't know. I also couldn't tell you the last time it was sober, so I don't know. My friend, when she lost her virginity, the guy like went down on her, and he was like, "No, I he hate was like this." That. And like we still do this. Mm-mm. Or when guys like when you remember like when when you, when you <laughs> give head to her. guys, they like love when you look at them, and I never do. But did you know? Like guys I feel like I save that. that for the end. 
I never want to see your eyes. <laughs> what do you mean? When my eyes are closed. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're down there. It's taking every. You have to focus. Wait, what is that saying? When my eyes are closed, I, I see, see you for who you truly are, <laughs> which is ugly. That's not a saying. That's from She's the Man. <laughs> That's like that quote. It's like when my eyes are open, I see you for who you truly are, and it's ugly when we're having sex. So I'm going to keep them closed. <laughs> I hate that. I know. I don't. Ew, no. 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 I'm not looking at anyone when we're having sex. The eyes are closed and it's pitch black. I think you see them. I think that you're looking at them, especially the first few times. Not when my eyes are closed. <laughs> I'm well, like, the eye contact part of it, that's intimacy mm-hmm. in the beginning. That's curiosity. <laughs> curiosity. It's curiosity. It's like connection. It's like, uh-huh. I haven't been intimate with anyone in a long time. So I don't know. I have that image in my head. I'm trying to think about like my long-term relationships if we ever did. There was this one guy that I dated for a while back in Minnesota. And he was like a very like intimate person. Like he wasn't ever just like, he was like making love all the time. And I remember he would, he would try to make eye contact to like just restore intimacy. And I think I was vibing with it at the time, but I don't want to ever do that again. Eye contact. Yeah. I don't want it. I don't want it. It's funny because I truly couldn't tell you. I was going to I was going to investigate um, <laughs> to some crowdsourcing some research. I was going to do some research and I you know, had, had the chance to pass two nights <laughs> and I was going to see what I did because I, I truly couldn't tell you if my eyes are open, if my eyes are closed, if I'm looking around, if his eyes are open, if he's looking at me like I don't I couldn't recall it. And it's something I do often, but I, I don't know. But I just know Early on, it does happen. I don't like that. <laughs> what I'm, a good question. Eye contact's hard in general for me. In I life. also feel like it depends on, like, like you said, like, he was, like, making love, like, intimate. Yeah. Like, that's different than, it's, like, the setting. I don't know. But don't you, you know? Really, like, eye contact, is it hard for you guys? Like, I can make eye contact with you guys, but people that I don't know very well, it's really hard for me to, like, make eye contact. I love eye contact. I feel like I Why? overthink it. I don't. I feel like people are staring into my soul. Oh, it's just my, like, whenever I shake somebody's hand, I'm just like, I want to look at you and I want to collect your name and I want to write it down in my brain and then I want to make, I like, I don't know. I like eye contact. Jesus Christ. <laughs> scary. Don't meet me. <laughs> no, that's scary because, like, like, yesterday when we were in this room, like, I can't say when someone's, like, talking directly at me, I get so uncomfortable. I'm just like, stop. I mean that was not that was that was crazy. That was different. Yeah, that's not like, an example. I can look at you guys all day in the eyes, but like a strange, like someone I don't know very well. I'm always like, "Hello, how are you?" <laughs> I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it. Okay, and now we're gonna kick it off into our interview. This was a wonderful, very beneficial interview, especially if you're in a relationship with Dr. Orna and. We talk all about relationships and counseling, and she provides a lot of great feedback. So I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as we did. And even if you're single, I thought it was very beneficial and very enlightening. Before we get into our interview with Dr. Orna, a quick ad from BetterHelp, because this show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process. If you heard this episode, you know that it sure can be, especially because we're always growing and changing. That is probably the theme of this one. Um, therapy is all about depending on yourself and deepening your self-awareness and the understanding that you have of who you truly are, because sometimes we don't know what we want 
or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you to a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. We are huge proponents of therapy here on the Mean Girl Pod because we're always playing offense and never defense on life and whatever it can throw at you. So if you are thinking of giving therapy a try, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mean Girl today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mean Girl. We all know that therapy is the greenest flag of all. That's right. Okay, you guys, we are joined today by a very special guest that we're so excited about, Dr. Orna Gralnik, who is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst. She teaches a course on transgenerational transmission of trauma, sociopolitics, ideology, and psychoanalysis on the disassociation at NYU Postdoctoral Institute for Psychoanalysis, like... Are you not amazed already? She's also completed several seasons of Showtime's documentary series, Couples Therapy, which we've all watched, but you mentioned there's your casting for a new season. So do you want, should they go to your website? Because people can apply for that. It is CouplesTherapyDocumentary.com. Love. Perfect. Perfect. Easy peasy. (laughs) Might see me. (laughs) Just kidding. So what we did is we reached out to our listeners and asked them to submit questions where they have problems in their relationship, their marriage. And we got so many and we picked an assortment of different ones, like younger marriages, older marriages, people who are just dating. And the first one is about a younger marriage. And Alana is going to kick us off by reading that scenario. Okay. This listener wrote... I got married young, and at the time, our aspirations were the same. The older we got, the more it seems we grow apart. I feel like I am the more ambitious one, and he is really content with where he is. There's not necessarily a problem, but it feels really blah. I don't feel like he pushes me. When do you know the difference in making a marriage work versus wanting a different trajectory for life because you only live once? That's quite a um, web of interesting questions that come up with longer relationships. Um, One is, how do you negotiate realizing that you're different? Which is probably, if I would say, what is the key issue that couples present with? That, in my mind, is the key central issue that choosing to live in a couple poses to each individual how do you live with difference question number one question number two what do you do with the fact that over time the quality of the relationship changes and often there's a switch from the excitement of novelty of getting to know each other of new material of finding who you are in the gaze of your partner There's a lot of really exciting things that happen early in the relationship, and then it changes because you become more familiar. Um, So the kind of blah word, I mean, many people describe that (laughs) the transition from early to later phases is the transition from wow to blah. Um, The other question is what happens when certain kind of dynamics unfold and, and get created when a couple spends a lot of time together? And certain qualities of a relationship gets distributed between the partners and polarized. So one can become indeed more ambitious while the other can become more in favor of how about we just enjoy the comforts 
And those qualities originally the people may have not had such an extreme version of those qualities, but the more time they spend together, the more the labor gets distributed more extremely between them. So all of these might be in operation in this like one scenario. Okay. So, so establishing how they're different one oh, and number two, over time, the quality changes, the excitement could die and number three, different dynamics unfold and they're distributed differently. And maybe one did become more ambitious and one became less. Yeah. So all of those factors, I would say the one that's most interesting to me that I would like to ask you about is like establishing that they are different. If they, yeah. what if they weren't different at the beginning and then over time have become different? Is it one of those things where you just communicate and learn to understand the difference because the basis is love or how does that, how does that play out? That's a really good question. And, and it might seem sometimes like, uh, just like a, a question of strategy, but it's actually a really, really deep question. Um, because being confronted with the fact that another person that you're attached to, that you care about, that you depend on is actually really different from you is actually a, a shocking event. Um, it might unfold and you might discover it very slow, but there's a shock value to that difference because in a certain way, we all in this like basic narcissistic way, assume that everyone is like us and repeatedly we get surprised and confronted with the fact that people are different. They think differently about the world. They need different things. They, in fact, they, with the way they see you, they confront you with the fact that you're different to yourself from what you thought. You thought you're familiar to yourself, but when you get fed back information from the outside, you realize there are qualities in yourself that you haven't even known, that you weren't paying attention to. And those are all disturbing, destabilizing messages, both the difference of the other and the difference we are, how different we are to ourselves. We have an unconscious that presents us with constantly new, surprising material about ourselves. So every time difference gets thrown in our direction, we get destabilized and we start fighting, fighting with ourselves or fighting with the other person. I don't want it to be different. I want everything to be the same. I want to feel like I'm in control of my world. I want to feel like I know what's going to happen tomorrow, that it's going to happen exactly the way I want it, the way I expected it, the way I was promised. And it, it, a struggle begins. How do we change the thing that seems different? How do we keep everything the same so it feels safe and predictable? And in essence, like the work I do with couples and with individuals is help them rather than respond defensively to that difference and want to kind of conquer it and make it all same to learn how to grow from that difference, that that difference is the kind of thorn that will lead to development and will make sure you don't stagnate as a person. So, okay, that was awesome. Um, so you said people wanted, they do want to control it because it is so unfamiliar and yeah. they, and they want it. They don't like change because they do want it to be safe and predictable. So you take that, and I guess it's really uncomfortable. Like, 
that would be really uncomfortable in a relationship, I would assume. And so if the end goal is to grow from the difference, do you would something you would suggest is that both parties absolutely have to show up as themselves, like their true self? Or is there a little give and take that you say she should give him this or vice versa? Or is it fully like you have to be your most authentic self at this time? Yes. Good questions. <laughs> Good questions. That's a hard one. That's sort of in a way like the the art of therapy. When do you go in what in what direction? Um, I would say both and because ultimately you want to show up as your true self and your best self and, and, and negotiate that. On the other hand, you are also asked to consider who your partner is. What's good timing? What can they tolerate? What does it mean to show up as your true self? Uh, you know, I, I, I remember when I years ago when I worked in groups, people would come into group and behave like in very selfish, aggressive ways and claim and, and completely destabilize the group. But then they would say, well, I'm just trying to be my true self. Mm. You know, your true self, great, but how about like think about your impact on other people as well so that you, you're you taking that into account in terms of like how you present your true self. It's not only about the true self. It's also about like really grasping that there are other people around you and, and taking into, into account their sensi- sensibilities, timing, knowing what you know about their history, so it's both and. Ooh, their history. Okay, that's good too. Wow. Well, good. question with that too, is there a fine line of how much you're supposed to compromise in a relationship? Like how much is this one partner supposed to give versus the other? And what if one is willing willing to give more than the other? Like where does that balance play? Yeah, great questions. Um I think, first of all, there's a, there's all sorts of compromises. There's a way that you could compromise and still remain honest and, and still remain to some degree uh, loyal to your authentic self. But you can compromise in the sense of like take really taking into account who your partner is and what they need and see how much you can stretch yourself. And then there are compromises that are more false where you're kind of departing from your authentic self and faking it. And that's kind of a time bomb because that doesn't last. People then develop resentments and rebound. And so if you're going for the honest compromise where you're stretching yourself in favor of the person you love, because you see who they are, who they are and you can maintain a connection to your core self, that's growth. That's compromise that will lead to growth as opposed to compromise that will lead to fakeness. Bring your core self. Yeah, that's big. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting. So the next scenario is a little different. It's about two people who are, I would say, like upper 20s, mid 30s. It sounds like and they're just in a relationship. So do you want to okay. kick us off, Alana? Okay. This listener writes... My girlfriend was great for the first three years we were dating. I didn't know her or have any mutual friends when we met, but we fell in love fast and hard. 
After year three, I started looking at rings. She started manipulating me against my family. She doesn't like my brothers or my sisters and complains about my parents. I slowly see her trying to pull me away from them, but I love her. I'm try- I try to explain to her my family is important to me, but she pull- puts things in my head like they don't want the best for me. At what point do I draw the line? I love her and she makes me so happy, but not at the expense of my family. But I can't imagine my life without her. Interesting. You know, we have a we're, we're filming a a season of the documentary now, and we have one couple that's really struggling with this. Um, so, oh, interesting. It will be interesting for the audience eventually to to see it in in live action. But um, it's not an unusual issue, right? The issue of how do you deal with your partner's family and one of the reasons it's not an unusual question, you know, the question of like, oh, the mother-in-law issue and all the tensions that get created around the partner's family. One of the reasons in general that it's such an issue for people is that um, a marriage, or let's, it doesn't have to be a, a relationship defined by marriage, but let's say just for simplicity's sake, a marriage means that one is moving their um, the boundary around their family structure from the family of origin to the new family, whether it's their new spouse, if they decide to have kids with kids. It's a big change in social structure. So there's a, a way that one has to, to some degree, let go of earlier bonds and earlier loyalties and in a way um, ways of thinking ideologies that marked the family of origin and shift into a different way of being which has to do with the new social political ideological system that a new family develops Mm -hmm. and that is painful it's a difficult negotiation and it doesn't always especially if people come from very different backgrounds Um, and the backgrounds can be different religious backgrounds, can be different ethnic um, race backgrounds, class backgrounds can be huge. Um, So those shifts are difficult. And sometimes the person who is switching from the family of origin to the new couple or the new family is really struggling with like torn loyalties so as far as one of your listeners like the the way they're phrasing the question i would start first of all moving away from the language of manipulation and, and the language of kind of will ill i don't i don't think that language is helpful i think one one can imagine that if if a partner is trying to engage you with creating a new boundary around your couplehood, part of what they're doing is they're doing something that could be good for you, which is creating a new boundary, a new social structure, which is your relationship. It's not necessarily a manipulation. It's an attempt to define a new boundary. Now, that partner needs to understand that what that puts you in the middle of is a conflict, an inner conflict 
between different kinds of loyalties, which is a difficult position to be in. And I think if people start understanding it in that language, that it's not like, you know, a battle of manipulation or, or you know, somebody trying to do something bad to you, but it's just, it puts you in a position of deep inner conflict. And it takes time and it takes negotiation and it, it takes patience and ultimately some choice between okay where is your main footing right now is it in your family of origin or in the new family and does it have to be always either or can there be some kind of new shared space that it's both and spend time with both and develop some kind of more extensive family structure that takes into account the differences between people hmm that's interesting. So yeah. I'm going to say it back to make sure I understood it. So you're saying basically it's like you're trying to define a new boundary, which mm-hmm. then can create conflict for one of the parties. Cause one's trying to define it and the other one has entered into conflict, but using terms like manipulation isn't helpful because that feels um, spiteful. And of course it's painful, but it, it, it requires patience and a compromise for a new shared space. Yeah. Yes, exactly. If one partner is trying to pull another partner away from their family of origin, how can that partner communicate to them that they maybe don't want that? Because it kind of sounds like she might be pulling him more from his family, but it doesn't sound like he's doing that to her. So is there a way that they can have a more healthy communication of him wanting both families still? Her and his original one? I think if he doesn't assume she's manipulating, but he gives it a more benign interpretation, which is that she's trying to create a boundary around a new structure, and he's put in a position of torn loyalties, he might be able to speak to her about it in a way that doesn't create conflict, but creates, meaning it doesn't create conflict between them, but he can articulate the inner conflict it puts him through, and they can try to think about it as a team together. It's not when you really understand why a person is torn between, let's say, loyalties to parents and whatever that history is about and wanting to create a good thing with their new partner, it's, it can create, it can, you can use empathy and compassion to try to find new solutions around it rather than it become a conflict between the couple that's so kind. Yeah. Um, what about what about if I don't know if it's her or him? I think it's him. What about if he is try, has a good relationship with his family and is trying to communicate this to them, and they're like devastated? Is there some language around that that's equally as kind that he could tell them? Well, okay. That then I might want to get it. Then it's we're out of the generality, and then we're, we might want to get into a little bit more of like what's going on there. Is there something that has to do with one of the parents that is having trouble letting go of their kid and, and exerting a certain kind of, you know, guilt, guilt or um, shame about betrayal it's it's also very culturally dependent. I mean, some, you know, in typical white American culture, there's like a 
premium on separation individuation as the right developmental trajectory, but in other cultures it's not like that. You know, the idea of extended families is much more the norm. So part of it is culturally dependent. Um, so I, I, I would have to go case by case and really understand what it, what are the issues that the family of origin is basing their devastation on. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think the biggest takeaway for this couple would be not using terms like manipulation, like it is such a kinder thing and she could be doing it out of protection. Mm-hmm. But he also, you know, or his family could be imposing shame or guilt on him. I mean, I guess that is case by case, but that's fascinating because mm-hmm. I tend to go to anger on that. I'm like, oh, but then you made it seem so much sweeter. Yeah. And it sounds like too, maybe his family needs to use or could be using kinder words because if he, if they're saying manipulation to him, he might then start to feel spiteful towards them and then that's when her anger comes in so it sounds like everyone just needs to be a little bit nicer yeah okay i like that that was really good i do all right ready for scenario three let's do it okay so this scenario is about um two individuals who have been married was it to say 15 years i think so so they've been married for a long time so a little bit of a different one I've been married to my husband for 15 years. He makes good money and supports our family. I stay at home with the kids. The older I get and see my kids starting to leave for college, the more I see into the future that I won't have much to do. My kids are where I get my self-worth. On top of this, my husband holds money over my head and is happy giving it to me when I'm with the kids, but I worry when they are gone what I will do. He micromanages me financially because I'm not the one who technically works. We pick this because it kind of ties into like the idea of gender roles and I guess traditional family unit. Right. Um, well, one way that I would think about this is it were, you know, there used to be times when the role of each spouse in a family, in a marriage, was very clear doesn't mean that it was necessarily good for any of them, but at least there was clarity. So with traditional gender roles in a marriage, like the man knows his responsibility is to provide financially and the woman knows her responsibility is to care for the kids. And then later as, as everyone grows older, maybe care for the grandchildren or they're, pretty clear ideas of how life is to unfold from beginning to end. Um, Again, not to say that people didn't pay like a huge price for these like traditional gender roles, both men and women. Um, But what they did get was clarity. Nowadays, things are more complex for everyone when, um, First of all, economically, there's just so much pressure on the, on the family unit. There's so little that um, so little welfare support for the family. So we have to have most couples have to have um, uh, two sources of income, right? So things have changed. Like the, the the changes that have come upon like gender roles are not only the feminist revolution, but there are also economic pressures that that basically put couples in a complicated position of like, okay, how do we do this? How do we divide roles? Especially if there are kids involved. 
there are a lot of responsibilities. There's the responsibility of bringing in money. There's the responsibility of taking care for the kids, attending to personal growth, attending to the relationship, health. Um, you can't have everyone doing everything. So what do you do? And, and in the case that you're describing, it sounds like the traditional distribution of labor worked for a while, but there's something looming, which is that it, it, there, there's something about it that is kind of fraying. And in this case, the wife is like, ooh, something is not going to work about this anymore. I've given all of the financial responsibility and control to one person but now that i'm losing this main purpose of like attending to the kids what is left here for me now i would assume that those questions were simmering under the surface for a long time but at some point in time when the kids are moving towards leaving the house it becomes clear that something about that older, that traditional structure is um, amiss. Now, it's interesting that often what happens is the, the couple then turns against each other and they start fighting, unaware of the fact that their fight is not really a personal fight. It's a... It's a... Um, a conflict that, or, or a problem that comes with leaning too heavily on these kind of traditional gender roles, not understanding that the, the problem is systemic, not a problem of this particular wife and husband. And if they can understand that, if they can start thinking about it in that way, thinking about it more systemically, again, they will not be turning against each other but they will both be sitting outside of that structural issue and thinking, hmm, what do we do now? We've relied on this very traditional structure. Now we don't know what to do because the kids are out of the house. So how do we redistribute? What do we want to do? So I have a question with, with around that. So it sounds like based off of the scenario, she got her fulfillment mainly from the kids and it sounds like he gets his fulfillment more so around his job, which that probably will end eventually because when he retires. So in a marriage, if you got our, if you if two people are kind of going in different directions of how they feel fulfilled, how can they bring that back when both of those main sources have gone to be more fulfilled within the marriage or within each other or just maybe other things? Because I feel like if you're married for 15 years, that's a hard um, habit or routine to change. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it can turn into a marital problem, but it's a problem that people face generally, like when they reach a certain end to a certain source of meaning in their life, whether it's kids leaving the house, retirement, illness, um, a move, war, you know, people face certain moments where whatever worked before doesn't work anymore. And actually, Often what happens is they, they, a conflict brews between the couple when they don't know how to solve it. They, they, they try to solve it by fighting. Um, but it's, I think, first of all, people have to do a deep dive into themselves 
to really try to face, okay, what is, what do I want my new source of meaning, contentment, um, self value, where do I want it to come from? And then bring it to the, to their partner and say, okay, can you help me make that happen? We actually have, we, we have also, we're filming a couple on the show now that are exactly facing that dilemma and they started off with a lot of conflict between them the kid was growing and didn't need the mom that much anymore and there was a lot of conflict brewing between them but gradually with the work we're doing they're realizing oh it's actually a lot of questions that they have to turn back into themselves rather than fight each other to find an answer and suddenly they're arranging each other kind of side by side, shoulder by shoulder. Okay, what do we do now? Rather than fighting instead of going inward. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that one as a systemic problem. Like the two of them could solve it together outside looking in. Yeah, I think we'll see. I, I don't know. You would know this, but I would assume this person, if they've been married 15 years, let's call them 45 or 50, Mm -hmm. they're probably caught right in the middle of that. Like our great grandparents had this very structured way of life and it was clear. We're going to have it a lot less, but this generation in the middle kind of sees both sides. And I think they start to realize when the kids leave, they're like, wait, I don't, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like fulfillment in relationships is just huge. Cause even around our age, I feel like the partner who has more in their life that fulfills them always seems to thrive more because they're more independent versus mm-hmm. the partner who's more dependent on their partner because that's what fulfills them. I just like I feel like that's like my biggest fear is just being too dependent on my future partner because I don't have enough that fulfills me. And I feel like a lot of people in our generation experience that. Yeah. Interesting. Can I ask you what what do you think it is about your generation that will orient certain people to depend on their partner i I mean what what happened with feminism well okay so candidly speaking we're both from the midwest yeah so we are used to and we we deal with this daily we talk about it all the time where we're from we this scenario that we just read you is a classic rinse and repeat you get up here to new york where we're expanding our minds and we're learning different things so i think it's what you grew up seeing yeah fully yeah that's definitely from seeing it from my parents my grandparents because that's all i knew for 26 years now my brain's realizing that there there's a different way of life but it's going to take a while for me to fully like wrap my head around it just because that's all I knew for so long. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a great question. Mm. I love that. That was good. Yeah. That was very, that was very helpful. Do we want to do the next scenario? Yes. What are some things that couples can do to be proactive in their, their relationship about stopping arguments before they start? That's very broad. It's broad. It's very important. Um, Very important. And there's, a lot written about that in, in, in the couple's world. Um, I, I can think just generally, I mean, obviously some of, some of it has to do with what each individual brings, right? You know, people with, for example, with a history of trauma, their way of their reason for escalating is different from a person who is, let's say more entitled or narcissistically loaded and, and their reason for escalation would be very different. So, I mean, we can get into that if you want to. But if I had to say something very broad about escalation, one of the things that people learn 
in couples work are a few things. One is the business of what we call in jargon affect modulation, which basically means you learn to look inward, notice how, what emotional state are you in? Um, and, and you know that if you're go, there's a certain kind of zone within which arguing and fighting is still productive, but beyond that, it's not productive anymore. It's, it's either a waste of time or destructive. So one of the things we teach people to do is to look inward and see where you're at in terms of like your level of excitation or upset. And if you're going beyond a certain level, either it's time to stop, stop talking, or figure out a way to bring yourself down, you know, with like basic tactics like pay attention to your heart rate, breathing, ground yourself, take a pause, think about the bigger picture, just bring yourself down. So I guess the same way you would do if you're like, I don't know, running and your heart is going crazy. Um, the other um, area to focus on to, to prevent escalation is to pay close attention to whether you're in the mode of talking and trying to make your point versus listening and trying to understand what your partner is saying and really make sure you're engaging more in listening and less in talking. Um, that will immediately completely change the dynamic. So those are the main two things that I would say in general to, to prevent escalation. Um, and then I would dig into like more specifically what is causing people to escalate I have a question. In scenario one, you mentioned how you thought it could be a strategy problem. And then in scenario three, you said it's a systemic problem. Do you, do you identify the type of problem first and then do that affect modulation where you look inward or do you do the reverse? In terms of how I work with couples? Or in terms of how we could think to de-escalate a fight. Like, do you say, identify what kind of, like, this is, oh. which one comes first? Is it? Affect modulation is always key. Okay. Always. Always. Because that, first of all, it's, it's actually relatively easy to do once you get the hang of it. Um, and it's always important. So that I would start with both affect modulation and, and then kind of figuring out like this, this knowing when you're listening and when you're talking, I mean, you're actually using different parts of your of your brain when you do that. Um, so those two things are always important. And I would always, I would recommend if people are like trying to do something with what we're saying here, do that, do those two things, things, things are going to look different. Um, and then delving into like more systemic, deeper issues of like, what is really causing the escalation here? Is someone, someone getting triggered by some past event? Are they just entitled and feeling like they, they, they just have to have their way? That's hard to treat. I, I would think, does the desire to be right um, usually trump listening? Yeah, the desire to be right is a strong one. All of us suffer from that. Um, if it's just that, if it's not coming from like deep narcissistic issues, it's okay. People, people learn how to 
reflect on that, laugh at that, at their own need to be right. It's, it's, it's not that hard to overcome that. That's good. No, I like that. That's, that's hugely helpful. Yeah. I'm like <laughs> taking this all and I'm like, I have so many tools on how to have a better relationship in the future. Yeah. Right. That was so helpful. Yes. Orna, I have a question about couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Is it hard sometimes to like meet a couple and not immediately be like, oh, he's the problem? Like as a therapist, are you, do you struggle with that? Like, is it difficult to kind of be like, oh, well, both of these people are on the same plane and not, not let like your human self be like, oh, he sucks. Most of the time it's not hard at all because I, I've been doing this work for so long and I've been seriously trained. And when you think like a couples therapist, you don't even totally see the couple exactly as individuals, but you see them as a unit mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm treating the unit. So it's like, if I, I assume if you're like a medical doctor, you know, you're looking at the liver, but you know that the kidney is, is, is what's mm-hmm. pulling the toxin out of the liver. So I don't really look at one as independent of the other, but once in a while, and actually in, in the season that's coming out this winter, you'll see me struggle with one person that was difficult, at least for me. And it took a while for me to find a way to work with them and get to the point that I'm working with a couple as a unit. But that's rare. Mm. Most of the time, I just see the couple as a unit and I'm like seeing how they influenced each other to become what looks like individuals, but it's really a couple's issue, like a, a gestalt. Hmm. Really sometimes I get, sometimes I get tripped into like responding to one person. Mm. Staying on bias would, for me would be so difficult. I know. Like, oh yeah. Know, even watching, I was like, <laughs> yeah. Or bringing oh. your own past experiences into the issue, which makes your brain think like, you know, mm-hmm. everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. That's why you're an expert mm-hmm. and why you're the therapist and not us. <laughs> yeah. That's why you're you. It's <laughs> oh. a long time. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? No, I feel like you you guys like led me down like into like all the meaningful stuff. Thank you for that. that those were fantastic questions. Of course. Oh. No, I feel like our listeners are going to learn so much. So we really appreciate it. That's cool. We didn't waste any time. This We went right into like the heart of the matter. Yes. Oh, good. Um, before we let you go, do you want to plug where people can find you? Yeah, so we go through seasons in which we open the door to people who are interested in applying to work with us on the show. It's a really profound and wonderful experience for those who come and work with us. And I'm saying us because it's not just me. It's a whole team of incredible people that work with the couples. So um, CouplesTherapyDocumentary.com come amazing (laughs) awesome yeah no i'm excited yes well this was so great we really appreciate it and we know our audience is gonna love all of the scenarios so thank you so much for your time thank you for inviting me and thank you for the awesome questions so thank you have a great rest of your day all right ab do what you do best um thank you dr orna and like comment subscribe follow us on instagram twitter Facebook, TikTok, 
Snapchat and subscribe to the YouTube channel, which you watch so you can see Jordan's face. <laughs> and we love you all. She's smiling. <laughs> Remove your hand. No, they saw it in the beginning. <laughs> they saw it. They're going to see the, the interview and then me and they're like two different girls. I Not know. the same. Love you. Bye. Mm-hmm.